VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Josh Allen, have a great year. Thank Thanks you, a lot. Appreciate you. Oh, for NBC Sports, Bills Camp, this is Peter King. Best to you. You still got it? Josh, good luck this year. Wish you well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Huh? Thanks a million. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was great. He left Josh Allen hanging, and then Josh Allen got him back exactly one year later for training <laughs> camp 2022. The training camp 2023. And, you know, that whole training camp tour was such a centerpiece of what you do. And one of the things I've learned over the years from watching you, listening to you, reading you, you would bust your ass for that month and talk to as many people as you could because then you would file all of that away and it would inform your coverage of the season to come. And it makes sense. As the teams lay the foundation for the games they're going to play from September into January, you're laying the foundation for the coverage that you're going to provide during that same period of time. It's really brilliant in its simplicity, but it requires a hell of a lot of work at a time when everybody else is just kind of ramping up again. Hey, I, the reason that that was the best time of year for me, honestly, Mike, is that very simply, there is no better time during the course of the year to get private time with people who you want to cover. And so over the years, I would spend, I don't know, 40 minutes in Andy Reid's Cinderblock dorm room and at, uh, uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri. I would go and uh, I'd spend time with Mike Tomlin after uh, a hot summer practice every year. He'd give me 15 minutes. So look, I, there, are, there are things about this job over the years that I started to feel like I'm putting up with more. Okay. But I will, the biggest thing I'll miss is on July 30th, I'll be looking around and saying, man, I miss Latrobe, Pennsylvania, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, Oxnard, California, Renton, Washington, Egan, Minnesota. I, I, I miss, I really, really Pittsburgh, New York. I miss going to training camp and getting real quality time with people when they haven't lost a game yet. You can't underestimate, you just can't underestimate that because a lot of times you're going into a place when the flames are licking at the walls of the place. And so nobody is really happy to see you necessarily, but sometimes those are the stories you got to cover. Anyway, that is one of the things that, uh, Probably more than anything else. I love seeing America. I might be the only one who, who, who really like getting in an SUV and driving for 1,300 miles in six days. I just, I just loved it. It was so much fun. Do you remember when and where we met? No. When and where did we meet? Pittsburgh Steelers training camp. Pittsburgh Steelers training camp, 2006. You invited me to meet wow, you up memory. there. I met you up there. 
I hung out with you for the day. Well, it was a big oh, deal. That's for me. right. I mean, here I am. That's right. I'm some you know little sloppy yeah. in West Virginia that nobody's paying attention to. That day, we talked earlier about Russell Wilson motivation. That day, somebody from the Steelers organization, I will not name names, made it clear to me that this is a one-time only thing. We're not letting you back in here again. The only reason you're here is because Peter <laughs> asked us if you could come. Until you're affiliated with oh a real media God. outlet, you're not going to get credentialed. That pissed me off, Pete. I'm still pissed off about it 18 years later, but it also <laughs> fueled me over the course of the last 18 years and continues to do so. But that was where we met. I have this searing image in my brain of you standing there talking to Troy Polamalu like, you know, it's no big deal. I'm still new to all this. But, yeah, it was late July, early August back in 2006. Wow. Well, you know, Mike, over the years I've – had the good fortune of meeting a lot of young people in this business. And at the time you were still pretty young, you are young, but that's been honestly, one of the things that when I was really young in this business, I wouldn't say I really had many or almost any friends. And as I got older in the job, I realized that like, what is wrong with you? You need to help people. You need to pass along whatever you can to help people. And that's why Monday Morning Quarterback and the MMQB at Sports Illustrated in 2013 uh, was such a tremendous thing for me because it gave me the opportunity to try to help some kids in their 20s as they were just kind of starting off in this business. And, and Mike, the last three, I think, Super Bowls, maybe four, uh, in midweek, I've had a dinner with a bunch of young sports writers, some of whom I don't know well, if at all. Um, but I've had a dinner, and I and you know what we did this year in Vegas? It was really great. I said, okay, everybody who comes to this dinner, there's 16 people here. Everybody who comes to this dinner, you have to bring one story from your year that has just been complete. You got to give me one story for everybody at the table to help them be better in their jobs. It was a ball. For two hours, we're going around the table telling stories about this idiot or that great guy or whatever. And it just, you know, it really, I I just wish, honestly, I wish I did that every year for the last 20 years because I, I really have been so fortunate in this business. So anyway... Well, it's it's great. It's great because people who are finding their way, especially as the landscape gets more challenging and there are so many other potential pitfalls out there and there's other jobs you can take that might be far more lucrative nowadays than this job was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's good to have mentors yeah. and it's good to have people who take the time to teach them how to do it right. And that leads us to Eric Bieniemy. He has decided to go back to the cradle yeah. of high-level football back to college after the NFL opportunities did not pan out yet again for him the way that he would like. He'll become the offensive coordinator and associate head coach at UCLA. It's reportedly a two-year deal. He sent a lengthy email to ESPN where he talked about getting back to where he got his coaching career started and and helping young people, and it's all very aspirational and positive. He says he wasn't fired by the commanders. He chose not to stay. Now, I don't know what what capacity – he would have stayed in. We've seen no reporting, no indication that he was going to be offensive coordinator or some other job with the commanders under the Dan Quinn uh, regime as the new head coach there. But but kind of a surprise that a guy who, you know, it felt like for several years, at some point he was getting, getting, going to get an opportunity to be a head coach and then leaves Kansas City to go to Washington with the idea that maybe this is the thing that will be the springboard to him getting head coaching consideration. He got interviewed for none of the openings this year except the one in Washington, and now he leaves the NFL altogether. And look, he can he can put whatever positive spin on it that he wants, and that's fine, and maybe it's all true. It just feels like the NFL window closed on the guy, and I don't understand why. Well, Mike, I don't necessarily think this is tremendously fair, okay, because uh, – of what happens and how the windows open and close so quickly. One of the things that is interesting about this past year, when you talk about the windows opening and closing quickly, how is it possible that Jim Schwartz did not get a head coaching interview? We could argue about 
which defense was the best. But there's no question that Jim Schwartz, in his first year in Cleveland, took that defense to the highest of heights. And he didn't get one. And I think, I honestly think what happened in Washington. And again, people are going to say, oh, that's just an excuse. But Eric Bieniemy went to Washington and the quarterback had a fairly had a productive year yardage-wise, but turned the ball over a lot. And the team was uh, 24th in the NFL in total offense. And, and look, if you're Eric Bieniemy and you're going to a team that had not played well, particularly well on offense and you go in there, you've got to have this injection of adrenaline and you have to make them better from the get-go. And the problem that I see anyway is that he came in coaching hard and a lot of the guys on that offense didn't accept it well. Ron Rivera had to come up and, and basically say, hey, listen to the coach. I mean, that is when I'm not saying, you know, it's all over. But that, to me, was a bad sign almost from the start. And so, look, I understand that everybody said, man, Eric Bieniemy is getting, as usual, the crap end of the stick. I totally understand that. But when you go into a new job and you think you have been ignored for a long time, you got to go into this new job and be great. And for whoever was to blame in all this, the fact is Washington, Washington's offense was not markedly improved. So, and, and he basically now has to go somewhere else and hopefully make a big impact on the kids at UCLA. Because look, how would you, la- how would you like to be a player at UCLA? And you have a decent year last year, whatever they were, seven and five. I don't even know what they were. But you have a decent year. And then your head coach says, oh, by the way, I am resigning to be an offensive coordinator in the same league that we're in right now. I mean, that is not good. So Eric Bieniemy should have some hungry kids to to work with, you know, to 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 probably to think we're going to stick it to Chip Kelly. And it was awkward when Ron Rivera, the former coach in Washington, spoke publicly about the issues with and the concerns that Eric Bieniemy might be coaching them a little hard. And kudos to Patrick Mahomes for stepping up and saying what he said at the time. It's like, hey, basically, like, do you want to be great or do you not want to be great? Like, this is what coaches do. They get the most out of you, and they right. have different ways of doing it, and Bieniemy's way works. And to me, Peter, the thing that resonates the most, when Bieniemy makes the surprise visit to the Chiefs in the hotel the night before they play the Ravens in the AFC Championship, and when Patrick Mahomes talks about that after the fact and says he got chill bumps when Bieniemy was back, that speaks to a level of respect, admiration, love that – should be transferable to people other than Patrick Mahomes. If this guy got through to the best player currently in the NFL and one of the two or three best quarterbacks who have ever played the game, what the hell is wrong with this picture? That's what's... And no one can get to the truth. No one can ever get to the explanation. Why won't anyone... And now it's not just make him an offer to be a head coach. It's make him an offer to be an offensive coordinator. And part of the problem too, Peter, right. the commanders squatted on him. The commanders squatted on him. They kept the bird yeah. in the hand until they had Cliff Kingsbury. If they just would have fired him, which they should have done, Josh Harris, in all fairness to Eric Bieniemy, you should have set him loose so he could try to find another gig as an offensive coordinator instead of waiting around until it was too late. That's part of the problem in this as well. You know, I think so much of the National Football League and employment is opportunity and the situation that you're in. And look, I remember over the years talking to some of New England's coaches who, you know, during their Super Bowl run, 
and they were always so hungry. Like during Super Bowl weeks, Mike, when they couldn't be behind a curtain, when they were just sitting there for an hour, three days in a row, and the opportunity, and so many of them, you know, it was like they're shedding their cocoon because Bill Belichick basically never wanted the outside world to know how good his coaches were. Now he'll say he didn't, or that he'll say that's not true, but it is true because so many of them did not have great opportunities outside the organization really until it was too late. And look, I think a lot of coaches are like that. Even coaches who you and I would say, oh, there's a great guy. The fact is some of the great guys will do everything in their power to keep a really good assistant coach from moving, even if they know it's the best thing for that assistant coach. The enemy story isn't exactly like that. I mean, Andy Reid really wanted him to get a head coaching job over the years. But the fact is, it just didn't work out. I think it smells rotten without any question. But again, this year in 2023, when he got to Washington, it was a crucial year for him, and it just didn't work out. Well, we'll see how it works out for him at UCLA and whether or not opportunities arise for him next year to return to the NFL as an offensive coordinator or in some other capacity. We'll take a break when we return. Some updates on the place that Peter isn't going this week and the place that if I was the <laughs> candidate, I wouldn't be wanting to go to. I've already said it. I've already said it. I don't want to go, but I'm going. <coughs> Scouting Combine updates next here on PFT Live. Show me something, Daniel Jones. 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 Show me how to relax during a bye week. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Show me those beautiful North Carolina legs. (laughs) And there it is. Peter King with Dan Patrick at the Super Bowl, I think in Arizona. That was in Arizona when Dan was at the minor league ballpark there. Show me something, Daniel Jones. There will be no more show me something, Daniel Jones is on Fridays, at least not coming from Peter King. Maybe somebody else. Or we'll play that clip. I have a feeling, Peter, you may need to tune in because you never know when there's going to be a show me something, Daniel Jones montage on a Friday during football season. Uh, And we still wait. And the Giants still wait for Daniel Jones to show them enough to make him the long-term guy. That's the irony of all of it. He still hasn't shown us enough. But I'll I'll say this about Daniel Jones. At the end of last year, at the end of last year, Mike, let me me just ask you this. Let's go back in time. It would be now 57 weeks. 57 weeks ago, if we were doing this show, Daniel Jones has just waltzed into Minnesota and beaten your beloved Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. And I would bet on that day, you and I would both have said, oh, Daniel Jones, Giants quarterback of the future. He has clinched it this year. And, and, and look, that's one of the things about the game, and I, I kind of wish I had written about this a little bit today. But and, and look, obviously, Terry Bradshaw's career is very much an outlier when it comes to this because he was down for a good four years when he first came in. I remember asking Tom Brady after his second Super Bowl, man, I said, you, you were, you probably were really fortunate in coming to the Patriots. And he goes, if I got drafted by the Raiders or the Cardinals, I'd probably be, be on my third team right now if I was even in the league. And, and the point is, the point is very simple. We have lost all patience with quarterbacks. And I don't know why Daniel Jones is being thought of now as some slappy who probably isn't going to be the Giants quarterback anymore. He got injured. That's what happened. He got injured. If I were the Giants, quite honestly, I'd be trying to build a team around Daniel Jones, not looking for the next Daniel Jones. 
I mean, we're at the point where we lose patience with guys, not just early in their careers, but we lose patience with them after they get their second contract. And I don't know whether last year the demands that were reported, Daniel Jones, when he was trying to get a new deal with the Giants, they hadn't done the fifth-year option with him, so they had to get him signed, or they were going to do the franchise tag. And some fairly big numbers got out there, but... You know, that's the thing, folks, to remember when you hear the numbers that you think are fairly big, the market keeps going up. $45 million per year as an asking price really isn't outlandish. When you settle at 40 and the market's at 55 and the salary cap's at 255 now. So I think that put yeah. a bad taste in some people's mouths that he's trying to parlay one good year into this massive contract, but it wasn't an unreasonable position. And you're right. He was injured last year. But there is a sense that this is it for him, that maybe they'll draft somebody. Let's see what he does this year. It's up or out for Daniel Jones again two years after it was up or out for him in 2022. And maybe that's good because the last time it was up or out, he went up. He played well. And I think it's critical for a lot of people in New York this year, for Daniel Jones, for Brian Dayball, for Joe Shane, for a lot of people in that regime. Uh, we've seen a lot of impatience from John Mary in recent years. And there were some people who were thinking that maybe last year, I don't think, you know, if they don't have the Tommy DeVito experience last year, maybe right. they continue their trend of two years, two years, two years. I mean, they've done it for three prior coaches. They get another year from Tommy DeVito, and now it's up to Daniel Jones again. We didn't, I didn't intend. We were just having fun with the Daniel Jones montage. But this is good stuff about the future of the New York Giants. But you know what, you Mike? grew up rooting for. Mike, I'll tell you, um, I've gotten to know Joe Shane a bit. I think Joe Shane is terrific. I think he is smart. He's got an incredible ethos about him. Not only in, look, every general manager, not every, but general managers know, work hard. If they don't, they're not going to be general managers for long. But I mean everything else. <clears throat> when, <clears throat> when Brian Dable and Joe Shane got to the New York Giants, there was so much they had to fix and so many things that had fallen through the cracks in terms of long-term adjustments to the organization, you know, scouting staff, everything like that, but also to the team and to the talent on the team. And I think one of the things that Joe Shane has done, and look, the game is massively covered. So anytime there's anything about Saquon Barkley, everybody is just going to kind of go crazy. But I think Joe Shane has had the right idea, both about Saquon Barkley and about building his roster. He knows that some mistakes were made financially. And, you know, there were some contracts given out, Kenny Galladay and stuff by, you know, by Dave Gettleman and by that regime. But he never complained about it. He basically said, look, we're going to get over this and then we're going to be good. And then it's, uh, you know, it's on my watch anyway. But I do think right now that Joe Shane does a very good job of letting the noise wa wash over him. And I think he will in this case, too. I think he and Brian Dable will make an intelligent decision on the quarterback. And again, they might have already said, oh, my God, we love Bo Nix. We got to get Bo Nix in this draft. I, I have no clue, no clue. But I do think this is the first time you know, that I've watched the Giants basically since the Ernie Accorsi days and and, and uh, some of the Jerry Reese days, honestly, because Jerry Reese had some really good moments as a general manager and franchise architect. But I haven't really trusted um, this front office for a while. And now with Joe Shane, I really do think they're in good hands. And look, they structured that contract with Jones to commit them for two years and to give them the flexibility to move on if, for whatever reason, what they saw in 2022 didn't become the norm for Daniel Jones. So again, important year for him, important year for Brian Dayball as well. He will be attending the scouting combine. This trend started in recent years, Peter, and now there's a handful of guys who aren't going to the scouting combine. Sean McVay said last week he's not going. Matt LaFleur of the Packers. Packers confirmed he's not going. Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys isn't going. Robert Sala isn't going, although I'm now told he might make cameo appearance late in the week. Kyle Shanahan not expected to attend either. He's one of the first ones to skip it. 
I'm I'm surprised, but I'm not. There are other coaches who would say it's very valuable to be there, but the argument is, look, I can watch all the workouts on tape whenever I want. I don't have to be there sitting in the stands watching them. Everything is recorded. I can watch it at my leisure. I don't disrupt my routine, and I can participate in the 15-minute interviews with the prospects via Zoom while other people are there in the room. So, you know, it's not a huge groundswell yet, but you get four, five, six coaches realizing the scouting combine isn't worth their time to go and attend. At some point, the NFL has got to get a little bit nervous that this thing they've tried to fashion into a tentpole offseason event, it's kind of hard to sell that if half your coaches decide they don't need to go. Yeah. You know, Mike, I, I think there have been a lot of people you've written about this. A lot of people have written about it recently <clears throat> about this spade of coaches who don't go. I'm not going to tell you which coach it was, but a couple of years ago, I remember having a conversation with a coach uh, about not going to the combine. And this coach basically said, listen, I like the combine. And when I was an assistant coach, I really liked the combine a lot because I would get to see guys who I wouldn't see during the season and really good friends of mine. And maybe one night we stay out a little bit too late, uh, have a few drinks and really get to be friendly with guys who maybe we used to work with for five years together. And I love that part of it. But he said, what makes it hard now is the simple fact that when I walk down the hall of the of, of Lucas Oil Stadium or, or walk downtown to go get a meal or to go back to my hotel or whatever, I mean, I know some coaches who basically will not walk two blocks. They'll have a car and they'll have a driver there pick them up so that they can just get taken right to the front door of their hotel and go up and go to their rooms. And you say, oh man, they're big dog in it. Uh, Men of privilege, all that. It isn't that. It's the fact that this is a job convention. And there are people who are unemployed there who are hitting every coach they see and say, hey, how you doing? And it's hard to ignore that if you're just walking around the city. Because Indianapolis is really one of the great cities in this country. I love it. It's a walking city. I always, when I go to the Combine, I get a cab downtown, and I never get in a car again. I I mean, there are times if I've got to meet somebody somewhere. But in essence, you just walk everywhere. It's fantastic. But if you are a famous coach, and almost every coach is famous and very recognizable... It's just not that much fun to be able to not walk anywhere without getting stopped six times. And I think that's why some of them don't want to go. And Mike, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Bill Parcells said this a long time ago when he was the last year that he had control over a franchise's roster. He was in Miami. I forget what year it was. And do you remember the quarterback from West Virginia that the Dolphins took in the second round because they wanted to Pat White, have yes, a, oh, I remember. Par, yeah, Pat White. Pat White. They wanted to have an option quarterback, basically. You know, and what happened was it turned out to be a disaster. And they picked him, whatever, I'm going to guess, 42nd in the draft. And the next year, Parcells says, listen, we are putting our draft board together before we go to the scouting combine. And the only thing that's going to change it, nothing in these drills is going to change it. Nothing in these interviews are going to change it. What's going to change it is the medical exams, if we have to downgrade a guy for medical, or if we find out he's got some arrest record or there's something in his personality or something like that. Otherwise, nothing changes with our draft board for the next year. And these things, I think, coaches now view, I mean, it's good to meet these players. It really is. It's very good to meet them. However, at the end of the day, very little of that translates to who they're actually going to draft. 
I could say a lot about Pat White's NFL career and his college career. He was spectacular at West Virginia. It never worked out for him at the NFL level, but he was the 44th overall pick, highest quarterback taken from West Virginia since Oliver Luck in the early 1980s. Wow. Drafted by the Houston That's Rams. That's amazing. I didn't know range. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, we take a break. When we return, A.J. Brown weighing in on some of the rumors that have been engulfing the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, the locker room was fine. Uh, like I said earlier uh, in the season, or after the season, whatever, I just said players wasn't executed, like I said in the interview. That's what it came down to. I think the media kind of ran with the coaches. The coaches fault. The coaches didn't prepare us and this and that. I never blame the coaches. I'm, I'm not the person to blame the coach. I'm not trying to blame anyone. You know, uh, I, I'm the guy who's going to look in the mirror and going to challenge everybody else. Like, it was the players not executing, and that's what happened. And if you look back closely, I said it a few few seconds ago that we were playing like the best team in the league, but we wasn't. We may have the best record in the league, but we wasn't playing like the best team in the league. It was like that all year. Yeah. But we was, we were scratching away getting wins. And so when stuff started to really unravel and stuff like that, stuff started uh, to not go as planned, then you saw you saw what was happening. And then, like I said earlier, it was a domino effect, and it was trying to stop the bleed, and it was just everything was just going too fast at that point. It's one of the great mysteries of the 2023 season. What happened to the Philadelphia Eagles? They were 10 and one of any season. To 19. <laughs> yeah, really, really, 10 and yeah. one, and then they won one of their final games. The rest of the regular season, lost 32 to nine in the playoffs at Tampa Bay. The the floodgates opened when they lost at home to the 49ers, 42 to 19. Nobody really knows what happened, and there's been some. And I don't really know what to characterize it. Craig Carton on FS1 saying that he knows what happened, but not saying what happened. Well, how can we even begin to evaluate the accuracy of that? He said last week, it's a problem that would splinter any group of men. It's a real significant problem and it cannot be fixed. I'm not going to tell you more than that. I know what the problem was. I know they're trying to fix it. I don't think it can be fixed. So it'll be interesting to see if a high profile player is no longer with the Eagles. That's all we've got. And who knows how accurate that is? Who knows if it's even remotely accurate? AJ Brown, star receiver, calling into WIP Sports Radio to give his side of it. Derek Gunn, who's covered the Eagles for years, said that it had something to do with Dom DeSandro not being on the sidelines to calm down Nick Sirianni during games. Remember, he got banished from the sidelines after getting into a little bit of a a pushing and shoving match with Dre Greenlaw. So (laughs) I don't know, but it's got to be Peter. Peter, you're retired. You're the one who can help us, Peter King. You're our only hope. You're the one who can find this out. I don't know. No, listen, Mike, uh, there's two things about the Eagles. And, you know, A.J. Brown, <clears throat> good on you, man. Fantastic job calling into WIP and trying to explain as best you could, uh, as I'm sure as much as you could say. I'm sure there are other things that deep down you know that nobody else knows. However, I just really appreciate what A.J. Brown did. That was pure class the whole way. But... 
I will just say, I disagree with one thing he said. He said, you know, we were winning games, but we weren't playing great or whatever that quote was that he said. Mike, how many games did Kansas City win this year where they weren't playing great? I saw one of them in person. Kansas City 21, Miami 14. They got nothing done on offense. They won because of a defensive touchdown, basically. And you know that's how they played a lot this year. The, the, the Kansas City Chiefs were not a powerhouse team. They're the 15th team in the league in scoring this year, for crying out loud. With the great Patrick Mahomes, with the Hall of Famer, Travis Kelsey, and, and, and all that. But see, that's the thing about football that, in my opinion... I think that A.J. Brown, look, who am I to say? He plays the game. But I think that's what he got wrong. In football, if you're truly a great team, you win games when you're not playing at your peak. You just do. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles did this year. I mean, I think if you say, if you look at, they beat Buffalo 37-34. And that was really their last really great moment of the year. But how do you look at that game and say, well, you know, we weren't playing that great, but we won. How do you look at the game where, you know, they beat Dallas narrowly at home? And I'm sure A.J. Brown says, well, we only scored 28 points, but they still had enough to win. In the NFL, in these times, you are going to have some bad moments in the course of the year. You're going to be the San Francisco 49ers and score 17 points three games in a row and lose three games in a row. And you're going to be questioning everything about what you do. But the season is long. My problem with what happened in Philadelphia, and look, I really like Jalen Hurts. But Mike, I, I don't know how you, we haven't really talked about this very much. But Jalen Hurts was just like an island on the sidelines for so much of this season. You know, there'd be a disaster that happened and he'd just be sitting there. He wouldn't be communicating with his teammates. What does Patrick Mahomes do on the sidelines? What did Tom Brady do on the sidelines? What does Lamar Jackson do on the sidelines? Man, those guys are involved. You know, listen, Jalen Hurts, I know he's a quiet guy, and he is. I get it. But... He's got to start leading this team. That's what I think. And I think also he would say that he's got to move some of these other things to the side. You know, these these off-field things that you do. And and look, I still think Jalen Hurts is going to be a really good long-term NFL player. But he's got to get more involved with the full team right now. And you make a great point. Look. Yeah, the Chiefs got embarrassed at home on Christmas Day by the Raiders. They had two regular season games left after that. The last one became irrelevant because they took care of business the following weekend and beat the Bengals. And then it was playoffs and all the records go out the window. It doesn't matter what you did. What matters is what you do. And the Eagles had that opportunity to hit a hard reset. And they still look sluggish and out of sync and disinterested and dysfunctional. Whatever it was... They weren't able to stop the bleeding. That's what makes it so intriguing and compelling to figure out what it was. Because it wasn't just a short-term stuff happens. There was something that happened that kept them from ever getting back on the same page and turning it around like we saw. The 49ers got embarrassed at home on, on Christmas, too, by the Ravens. The two teams that made it to the Super right. Bowl got embarrassed at home on Christmas Day, and the Eagles won on Christmas Day, and that was the only time they won after <laughs> losing the 49ers. It just shows you you can, you can fix it, whatever it is. And who knows? Maybe Craig Carton's right. Maybe it's something that isn't fixable, but it's just a weird cloud that's hanging over the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason. We must take a break. We have plenty more to get to, and we don't have much show left. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. I'm so used to dealing with Sims making words up. I'm not prepared for somebody to show up and actually have a more expanded vocabulary. In this sort of interregnum between 
his time in Denver. And I don't know what he's he's asking for in this weird Byzantine, bizarre <laughs> contract <laughs> negotiation. The voices to play Jordan Love will be cacophonous on Monday. When he has a problem, he confronts it. He doesn't mollycoddle it. You know, what got into the Giants to be such desperate, profligate spenders in free agency? Your wide receiver depth chart has basically been denuded. And there is your football morning vocabulary. And I'm not saying this to try to be a negative nabob here. Rams defense, especially the back end, is so fungible, so changeable. It's just, to me, it's so much palaver. Why would anybody care, really, if you love Bing, the baby? There it is. There, there it is. I'm going to see your rigmarole. I, I got the SAT word today, Peter. Rigmarole. And see your finagle. They still are in position to finagle with a win on Sunday. And I'm going to raise you a super incumbent. Okay, super Aha. incumbent. Something that sort of hangs over the festivities. That was something. You could count on it every Friday, like clockwork. Usually monosyl or not monosyllabic, polysyllabic. Today you dropped an ethos though, which is, you know, it's too short to really count, but it it it's still not not a word that you hear all the time. So thank you. Over the years, expanding my vocabulary and the vocabulary of listeners on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean because they love you, Peter, in the UK. Uh, I love the UK, too. I've got family over there, my sister-in-law, and uh, I've got a, lot of, I got a lot of family over there, and I love being there. And look, one of the cool things about this sport, Mike, is that every week, after I write my column over the last, really, I'd say 10 years or so, multiple 10, 15, 20 emails from all over the globe. I got an email from Siberia a couple of weeks ago. And this guy loves the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, you just start wondering to yourself, how does someone who lives in Siberia love the Pittsburgh Steelers? And I'm fortunate because so many of these people over the years had just barely were just barely able to watch on television or 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 to see videos or to see something and so they read pro football talk or they read football morning in america and that i think has been i think it's been lucky for you and i think it's been lucky for me oh and it's great and we hear from these people around the globe and you know at times i go through and i'm sure you have at times like what do we really add to the world covering a sport like what like could we be doing something a little more meaningful but then when you hear from the people to whom it has great meaning to have the ability to get away from the stuff they have to worry about and get a little break and have their routine and enjoy what we do eh, it makes me feel less worthless when we we get those and yeah those (laughs) especially from the areas that are football deprived the more football-deprived an area is, the more they turn to folks like us to try to keep up with what's going on. All right, we got to take a break. We will have more PFT Live for you right after this. On Friday, the NFL announced the salary cap for 2024. Now, I had heard earlier in the week there were teams that were expecting it to be in the range of 242 to 243. Another team source said higher. Somebody else told me it's going to be closer to 250 than 243. And ultimately, when the NFL dropped the curtain, 255.4, a jump of 30.6 million from last year, 13.6% increase. That's the largest percentage increase in the cap since it was introduced in 1994. And I think it was 35 million per team. It almost went up from 2023 to 2024, the full amount of the cap back in 1994. And the bottom line is, is good news for teams. It gives them more flexibility, but it's good news for everybody because it is a clear indication that things are going extremely well for the National Football League, Peter. 
They're going fantastic. And I think for all of those people who will say that, and again, look, this is the can of worms that we don't want to open at 847 uh, with only 13 minutes left in the show. But for all those who would say that it's idiotic to put games on Peacock, our playoff game on Peacock, it's idiotic to put a playoff game on Amazon Prime. Look, this, and again, people are going to laugh and chortle, oh, you silly sap, you idiot. This is not just about getting $4 million more per team right now. It, it isn't. This is about two things. This is about getting ahead of the future. And I think the NFL, whatever you can say about the NFL, and I have a lot of negative things to say about the NFL and gambling and all that other stuff, whatever you can say about the NFL, you cannot accuse the NFL of not looking to the future. And this is about looking to the future and understanding that when everything is pay TV, 10 years down the road or whenever it is, might be three years down the road. How do you know? You don't know. But whenever, it's not going to be three. But when everything is pay TV, they're going to be on top of it. And look, for all the stuff, and we give guff to Roger Goodell all the time. The fact is, it was 10 years ago when he said, you know, we don't have to put the NFL draft in Radio City every year in New York. And we all said, oh my God. Players love coming to Radio City. Biggest venue. It's the greatest place. Heart of New York. Red carpet. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Let's try to put it in Chicago and see what happens. Mega draft. Let's put it in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. 800,000 people by the Rocky statue. Downtown Nashville. 650,000 people on day two of the draft. So... The NFL understands that just because we've always done something this way, we don't always have to do it this way. You know, it occurred to me while you were saying what you just said, and you said it all very well. This is the perfect time for you to say something that would be very unpopular with the masses and that would cause them to react to you angrily and suggest that you should just retire. <laughs> Good. So I just did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. You see Peter out of the corner of my eye. He's going he's gonna to do the Merv Griffin walk-on. Hello, Peter. How are you, Peter? Merv Griffin walk-on? Yeah, I remember the, yeah, the, the, from the... Uh... Hey, Jerry, come on in. You're going to have a great blooper reel with me this year. That's all I can say. Mike... Will you yes. do the Fandango? I guess you're going to pop on at some point from Germany. I think I'm going to pop on and have a gigantic beer on the show. No days off. That must be me because it's slim and attractive. Sweet me. Mike, did you know that I've never needed makeup in my life? I'm going to give you my butt. And this is a very big butt. Christopher! Christopher! Emery's. I'm going to tell you the way the weird Peter King mind works. I want to know what twerking is. I demand to know what twerking is. I don't mean to be the one who is passing gas in. <laughs> did he Did he fart around the reception? <laughs> call me perverse. Matt, don't call me job rule. Chuck, say hi to everybody. Hello, Mike. Ow! Cats blow. I don't know anything. Dude, you're not my league. I'm effing funny. Because I'm effing great. Nut up, baby. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Mike, did you know that you wear the same thing every show? The ransom is $1 million. Ooh. Florio is coming to town. Florio is coming to town. Really kind of look cute in that as an angel there. Devils! Devils! When the immortal words of Peter King, Sims, colon, quote, I am not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I'd be better if I looked like 
Brad Pitt. You don't milk a turnip. We squeeze 48 minutes of blood out of that turnip. Hey, I love you fans. I love you. You're wonderful. What an effing show that was. Jeez. Congratulations on a job done. (laughs) Oh, there it is. And some of the photos of yesteryear. Peter King. (laughs) Peter, again, I can't get upset because I'm excited for what's next. I have a feeling you got something, whether you realize it or not, whether you're keeping it close to the vest or it's still percolating, you got something. You're not going to be gone for long. You'll be back some way, somehow. You got an open invitation to invade this platform anytime you want. You should know that. That goes without saying. But I got a feeling, I got a feeling that this is this is not just ending, but also beginning for Peter King. My whole goal in life, Mike, is to be on your show from Milan on a Friday uh, afternoon over in Italy and a Friday morning in October when I'm saying, man, I've never been anywhere other than the gridiron on a fall Sunday. This is amazing. People actually have lives out in the world. And Mike, I have nothing. I know nothing. We'll see what happens. I don't have any idea what I'm going to do. But whatever it is, it'll be fun. It always is. Well, and I like the fact that you understand you're embarking on this journey without a plan. But plans kind of have a way of forming themselves. And life happens as you start living it one day after another. You quoted Jeff Duncan, Jeff Schultz, excuse me, who retired last year after a long run with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and then the Athletic. He wanted to feel what it was like to be bored. Wouldn't it be nice to just be bored? Just to have that feeling, I don't have anything to do and I'm bored. I mean, it's been a long time since I've done that. I've got a stack of about 64 books that I have to finish. I just got one uh, for my lovely wife, Anne, the lead by Calvin Trillin that I just dug into. I'm looking forward to actually reading some books and reading some things that aren't about sports. So we'll see what happens. But You know, Mike, as I sort of take my leave, the one thing that I do want to say is truly that I've been the luckiest man on the face of the earth. We've talked about it a little bit in this show and others, but I came along at the perfect time for an aggressive sports writer. And I was so fortunate to be where I was and to do what I've been able to do. And man... It has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Nobody's got it better than me, with all respect to the Harbaugh's. <laughs> well, and look, Peter, I'm not going to eulogize you. I'm just going to say thank you for being a great mentor and friend all these years. And I look forward to many more years of laughing and ha- having you on from Milan or Siberia or anywhere else. We'll see everybody tomorrow from Indianapolis. Have a great day. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 